Good afternoon. Um, I'm Mark Lawson. Much more importantly, this is Chirital for who, um, how many people, it just helps from the questions, how many people have so far seen every man? Wow, oh, that's good, isn't it? Oh. Okay, well, we'll try to um, uh, inflect it so that we tell enough to um, those of you who haven't seen it without boring those people who have with details. <laughs> You understand. Um, this is, if you've been to other platform performances where we tend to do a whole career, this is a much more directly focused interview about this production and this performance. But I thought we'd start with this stage and indeed this rough area because, um, as you know, some actors don't like the Olivier stage because they say it's too big and the acoustics are bad. And by legend, there is a single spot on the stage which has... Um, the and Michael Bryan spot. The Michael Bryan memorial spot, yes, yeah, where yeah. Uh, you've probably seen over the years, Michael Bryan, one of the greatest um, act character actors or actors in uh, British theatre history, he used to always stand. Do you know where it is? I don't. I've been looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's got to be somewhere around here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm just interested, because I'm not an actor, but it sounds beautiful here. But is it? I mean, is it a problem as a stage? Um, I think it's... I, I mean, personally, I find it wonderful to play here uh, on the Olivier, especially. And um, and I did uh, the first time I did that was about 15 years ago. Um, and there's I think there's something that is that troubles some people in the sense that you're constantly having to drag around, you know, <coughs> across the uh, across the audience. But I find that very engaging, and with a piece that's as dynamic as Everyman. Uh, I think it really allows you to do that, and uh, and and obviously because it's the nature of the kind of conversation with God, that also draws you up into the circle in a kind of organic way, which is slightly useful. So it never feels to me um, a false space. You know, it feels like it's uh, actually a great auditorium to have kind of epic and slightly you know profound conversations. Um, uh, and the stage is vast as well, which is which is great for kind of roaming around and, um, you know, and figuring things out. So. Well, we're going to talk during this about you, you use virtually every inch, both above and below of this um, stage. But another thing that's always fascinates me from having spent most of my life in theatre audiences is the um, relationship between the actors and the audience, which is obviously crucial in theatre. And I've heard stories of actors who take out their contact lenses or take off their glasses so that they can't see the audience. But how much, how much awareness do you like to have of the audience? I mean, I love it. You know, I love to be sort of engaged with the audience, you know. Um, and that can be, you know, I mean, in a space like this, actually, even though it seems quite large, very large, it, it, it actually can be quite intimate, you know. Um, but I suppose there's always a sense of audience and then, you know, an actor. But it's like if you play the, you know, say, you know, playing the Donmar is just it's so intimate that you end up you know being aware of you know exactly where your friends are sitting and whether they got the house seats or whether they were <laughs> you know I mean I've had internal conversations about why John is there on the Tuesday when he was supposed to be there whilst killing Desdemona you know and so you know but here is sort of vast enough to kind of have a little distance but still have a, a kind of uh, a kind of a, a sort of cosy element to it. And in the Donmar, where you played Othello, and for example, Young Vic, where you played a season in the Congo, presumably on a press night, you can see all the vulturous critics oh, sitting yeah. there scribbling, can you? Uh, yeah, you can occasionally <laughs> see them <laughs> noting down things. Uh, but, but, you know, you can phase all that out as well. And it's, uh, you know, certainly it, with season in the Congo, especially, there was so much happening. You know, it's, uh, it, that again was such a sort of dynamic production that, uh, you know, I was sort of more focused on just where I was. You know, it was a sort of, the, I think the press night was a kind of haze for me. There was so mm. many things sort of going on. So, yeah, so I had a less focus on mm. the critics. Scribbling. But when you talk about phasing them out, I just, um, because I think we've all, when in an audience, had that feeling of someone starts opening a suite behind you and you get to a stage where you want to just turn around and say, I'll open the effing suite well, yeah, box yeah, for yeah, you yeah. and that. Um, or mobile phones, notoriously now. But that, um, are you able to block that kind of stuff out? Or is there a risk of becoming distracted by it? I think it depends on the show, you know. There's something about this show that doesn't, that kind of can absorb all that. Mm you know, kind of quite easily. It, uh, it's, um, it, it, you know, it's not 
allowed, <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's sort of, there's something that is permissible about the show itself. It's a kind of, it's forgiving of the participation and there's a desire for, um, for personality to be brought to bear, you know. So uh, if we've had those moments, you know, um, which we have occasionally, uh, they, haven't, they haven't bothered me, you know. I think that, yeah, the only thing that's worrying is when there was somebody down in the front here one time who was busily texting away. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and the light on his face was the only <laughs> light you could see out there. So, so what, what I want to do is to work through from being offered the script or talking to Ruth and I about the production to essentially where we are now, which is your going on stage tonight to play this. I want to kind of go through the stages. So yeah. first of all with that, because I mean, I think in any actor's life, but Othello, for example, was probably always lying there waiting for you at some point and you knew you, were, you would eventually play it. Um, Season in the Congo is a play that certainly I didn't. I think most people in Britain knew almost nothing about whatsoever, sure. so that was a surprise one. Um, every man, we sort of know the play, and I mean, I studied it at school and university, as a lot of people would have done, but this fantastic, I think, new version by Carol Ann Duffy. So with those, um, Season in the Congo, um, every man, was that a matter of the producers, directors coming to you? Uh, yeah, it was the directors in both cases. Mm. I spoke to Joe Wright in Los Angeles and he asked me to take a look at it. And then... Uh, uh, That's Season in the Congo, yeah. Season in the Congo, yeah. yeah. And then this was, uh, you know, Rufus asked me to come... Uh, just, I came down here, really, and um, we had a conversation uh, just out in the stalls here. Um, you know, there was another show in here, obviously, and. Uh, um, and I hadn't, you know, I, I, you know, I spent quite a bit of time at the Olivier, but I hadn't been for a while, and so, and uh, and I hadn't been on the stage for 15 years, and so it was kind of interesting to, just to be talking to him whilst kind of looking at it and thinking about, uh, just just again, just thinking about how to play the space, you know, uh, and in, and in that time there wasn't much, there was a little bit of text, you know, Caroline had started work on it, but it was very very early and. Um, so we were talking in very broad terms about what it might be to do something like every, you know, to do every man and to do something in the kind of vein of the sort of mysteries. And, um, and I was excited by it, but it was, it was very early at that point, you know. So it became a process of, I went back to Los Angeles and he would periodically just send me more and more bits and pieces. And, and um, I can't remember what the what the actual turn was, but there was just a point where it became necessary to just, you know, to kind of fall on one side of the fence or the other, to either say, listen, I know we don't have the full version yet, and, uh, but I'm going to take a punt on it, and I'm going to say yes, or kind of pull away from the whole thing altogether. So I decided to, um, um, to do it. And it's such a large part of an actor's life, that, which is um, mysterious to most people, but I mean, for example, if you're a writer within certain limits, you can just decide you want to write something, whereas an, as an actor, you're always dependent on being offered things, making choices. Um, so you can accept a film and get an Oscar nomination, which the, ob the, the other side, which many actors have had, is you turn something down and then you see somebody else standing there with, um, <laughs> with the Oscar. Yeah, and yeah. so all that stuff. So I know you just have to accept that as an actor, but do you, how do you decide what to do? I mean, are there any criteria? It's difficult. I mean, it's not, you can't, you know, it's, uh, there's always such a um, large element of, of risk involved. You know, you don't, you just, you know, I suppose because the actor's journey, as you say, is so much of it is so many of the things that are going to be, that are going to determine whether something is successful is decided in your absence. You know, there is so much of it that you are just giving over in terms of just, uh, you know, I mean, there is, there are the things you can provide and your own personal skill set. But in the end, if other things aren't running correctly and you can try and muscle your way through it if you like, but that... <coughs> That's also a very kind of complicated road to, to go down uh, and sort of, you know, if you just want to sort of butt heads to get things done in a, in a certain way. Um, I mean, nobody would prefer that. So, yeah, you are risking a bit and you are handing it over. But at the same time, you know, obviously there's great reward with that, you know, uh, and, uh, and occasionally things don't work. But I just that's part of the ebb and flow of it, you know. And this is a good example, I think, every man, as I say, that with Shakespearean or classic roles, you might plausibly think, I'd like to play that one day. It's very unlikely you'd think one day at the National Theatre I will play 
every man, but it's just not really yeah. in that repertoire, is it? It never occurred to no. me, yeah. No. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where you depend on somebody like Rufus Norris to have the notion. Well, I mean, you're, yeah, uh, first of all, you, yeah, Rufus, I, I was, you know, I've known Rufus for a long time and seen a lot of his work and I'm a huge fan of his, so it's not, when I say it's a risk, it's a calculated mm -hmm. risk. And then, and obviously with Caroline Duffy, you know, and the, the, just the sheer beauty and elegance of her poetry, you know that those things combined are going to produce something. Um, you then hope that you can additionally add whatever it is that you bring, and, um, and you're hoping that that kind of combination is going to work, you know. But, uh, but I felt like there was a good chance that it, that it would. Mm. You know? And there are um, endless discussions about the differences between film and um, stage acting, and people who do both, but at the level of rehearsal, it interests me. Sam Mendes, I think, once put, to me, put this very well. He said that on a film set, you were trying to get to, as quickly as possible, to a single performance that was fixed forever. And in theater rehearsals, you have much longer, but you're trying to get to a performance that has to be repeated however many times, 60, 70, 80, 100 times. And that, so it's a very different kind of concentration and focus. Um. Yeah, it's, uh, I suppose, in, in, it's kind of, it's hard to describe the difference in a way because I haven't found, you know, doing every man here is not, is not dissimilar to the process of trying to find a character in film, you know. Um, there is something that I am still discovering. There are things that I'm still discovering about the play that I think I will discover up until we, up until we finish it, and probably beyond, you know, in the taxi home on the last day. You know. <laughs> but the uh, but that's what's I think interesting about this process for me is that it's always been it has been one that is filled with discovery, and actually not there's no single evening that's the same. So, and in that way, the kind of variations are similar to me as doing different takes in a scene in, in a film, and trying to just sort of vary the emphasis or see which plays better or see which makes more sense, you know. Um, but Again, the great thing about, you know, obviously the, the theatrical experience is that you can see the, the impact of all of those decisions as they happen, as you journey through the play in kind of real time. Whereas, of course, in film, even though you might feel that a scene is correct or a moment is correct, it's not, it won't be until it's put together that you can actually really gauge whether the impact and the trajectory of everything has been right. But then... You know, but in this experience, I feel like just sort of slightly varying things at the beginning has an impact, you know, in the middle of the play, has an impact to the end of the play. But also, crucially, on stage, you have more personal choice. Um, on a film set, if you decide to whisper a speech, the director can record it and then get rid of it in the um, uh, cutting room and go with another one. If you decide to whisper a scene tonight, you might get a note from Rufus Norris tomorrow, but you have that much control. I mean, you have more freedom on stage. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's a kind of, it, it's, it's, in that sense, it becomes much more like a, an actor's medium in a way that, um, in a way that film isn't, that film is very much a director's medium. Um, and yeah, you have that sort of personal autonomy if you choose to, you know, do whatever you like, you know, you can make up a completely different script, you know, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I'll stick with this one. Yeah. And uh, stage actors do vary, I think. Um, some give pretty much the same performance throughout a stage run. Others vary. I mean, Michael Gamble is an example, vary quite, well, he's now retired from stage, I think, but would apparently vary quite dramatically. Do you, um, I mean, across a run, how much would you change a performance? I mean, it depends. I, you know, I think that it's, it's always good to try and push the, the limits of things. I think that every, as soon as something feels a little too safe, I think that everybody in the room in the end senses that it's all a bit stayed, it's all a bit done, you know. Uh, I think that if there's always an element of something new, something kind of bolder that the performers are, are, are bringing to it and, and constantly trying to shift it. And, and actually, it's really just to, to understand and interpret the piece um, in, in fresh ways. Uh, I think that's an exciting thing for an audience. And it's also an exciting thing for an actor. And, um, and I think without it, uh, or if you're, I mean, because it's not really possible to repeat a performance, you know, in, in the end, because even if you're, if you're, even if you're thinking about repeating something, you know, you are changing it. Yeah. So, um, so you might as well just be changing it uh, or just be sort of trying to freshly look at it so that it's not the same. And, uh, and there are certainly in this play elements that can't be the same every night. 
you know. The boy on the scooter going around, you know, first of all, we have three different boys, and then, uh, so they vary each night, and then, and also every night, they're in, you know, any one of them is in a different place, and, um, and so you're always going to be playing it in coordination with what else is happening. Um, and there are sort of a few elements like that mm. in the show that can't be, re that just aren't repeated every night. You know? And if the, which you wouldn't want to happen, but if the uh, boy slipped off the bike, then that's another thing that has changed, or if they forget to come on. These are all the variables in theatre. Forget to come on, that'd be, yeah, yeah that yeah. would be a very <laughs> big change. You have to deal with, but I mean, that's, that's one of the things about theatre, that um, stuff happens, doesn't it? Stuff happens, exactly. And, uh, but that's what's exciting mm. about it, and that's why... Um, and the show kind of, I mean, unless you really can't continue the show, but in most mm. cases, you'd find ways of just, of, um, of getting past any issue. So without too many spot, uh, plot spoilers for those who haven't um, seen it, every man, medieval morality play, but done in a modern version, Caroline Duffy. Um, this will be a slight, I'm sorry, slight plot spoilers, I have to ask about it, but it starts with every man, played by Tudor, descending, I say use every bit of the stage, um, you can probably see behind us, it goes right down, there's a pit beneath which we can't go near for health and safety reasons, um, and uh, he descends from the, um, the flies, the roof. Now I wonder about that, I think by law you have to tell actors if they're going to appear naked on stage, that has to be in the contract, but do they, do they tell you you're going to be dropped from the roof? <laughs> uh, Rufus, yeah, Rufus asked me about it very, uh, uh, very early on. Um, uh, on. Actually, I was in Los Angeles just after I accepted, and he said, "You know, do, what do you think? Yeah, you know, do you have any issues with heights?" And I was, <laughs> I was sort of like, "Who doesn't have an issue with heights at a certain point?" Yeah. you know, and um, and uh, so I said, "Well, what are we talking about?" He said, "Well, the top of the Olivier and coming down," and I was like, "Well, let's take a look at it when we get, you know." And, um, yeah, it's pretty interesting as a way of, of starting a show. Uh, what's nice about it is that I feel like once I land down there, I think, well, that's the hardest part of the show over. <laughs> <laughs> so I can really get on with it. Um, but it's, uh, it's an exhilarating way to start. I mean, I think it, mm. uh, it probably looks pretty startling. And, uh, oh, it's, it's thrilling when you see it happen. But um, I know that at, at drama school they teach, you know, be in the moment, stay in character, which obviously you should. I mean, presumably you can't stay in character while descending from the roof of the Olivier Theatre, can you? Um, you must be thinking, oh, crikey, on the way down, are <laughs> <I? laughs> um, The, uh, you know, the, the being in character is, is, the, is the only kind of protection from self, you know, um, which is what is exciting and interesting about and unique and probably why I am an actor, you know, uh, about the, the, the art form and the, um, and the way of self-expression without being totally uh, naked, you know. And, uh, and so, strangely, in character, I don't really feel the height of it, you know. If Chuatel goes up there, you know, I'd probably be, you know, shitting myself, you know. <laughs> but... If, you know, if we're beginning the play and every man is falling and, and the thoughts of his life are rushing through his head, then um, it doesn't bother me as much. But that's one of the things that's always fascinated me about actors, because a lot of actors, as you know, are very shy. Sometimes when you see an actor having to make a speech in public or meet a member of the public or even give an interview, they can scarcely do it. But once they get, <coughs> they have the mask or the character, they get this confidence, and that is a curious thing about acting. Yeah, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. That's the, I think that's the whole kind of reason why people get, uh, people become sort of hooked on it, you know. It's, uh, it's, uh, um, I can't remember exactly which part of the brain is used, but I remember that Fiona Shaw went into the sort of brain scan thing to go uh, while she was, reading Wastelands, and she was reciting it, and they, were using, and they were testing which parts of the brain were activated. And, uh, and they discovered that it wasn't the part that's to do with um, memory. It was the part to do with its complicated visualizations, you know, like uh, turning the figure eight into, like, onto its side and then making it a pair of sunglasses. That switch is what was the part of the brain that was activated while she was reciting Wastelands. And it's that kind of intense visualization that is part of the 
acting journey, which is why it sort of, in a sense, protects you from all of the other things. And you, can, you are free to express yourself artistically without ever feeling vulnerable personally, you know, because you're in the midst of a visualization, you know, and that's, that's what's exciting and slightly weird about it. No, that's amazing. So in that experiment, Fiona Shaw had internalized the text to that degree that it, it wasn't mem memorizing it. It had become part of her. That question, because um, under, I, mean, I know it annoys actors, but civilians are always in awe of the learning of lines and that and lengthy parts and so on. But I don't want to ask it in that way about how to learn them. But it's, um, again, I find actors differ. Some like to have learned everything before the first day of rehearsal, particularly with long parts. Others... Uh, to the despair of some directors are learning up until the last, um, until the first preview or even the last preview. Um, where, 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 where are you on that scale? Uh, it depends on what it is. You know, I, when I got here, um, I think, I mean, we had a version of the script, but I knew that there were going to be seismic changes and it seemed pointless to try and learn the whole script and then try and relearn it. So, um, so I left it in the rehearsal period until such a point that I thought, right, well, this is as close to... Um, this is a point whereby, I, at least with some of the bigger speeches or whatever, I can actually start to. And and some of those changed. And, uh, you know, uh, in fact, we introduced um, a speech in uh, in the preview, um, you know, uh, which was interesting, you know, that, well, I, that I got here in the, in the, in the morning. Uh, Carol Ann had written the speech. I was learning it around lunchtime and went on and tried to give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> in the evening, you know. But isn't that um, terrifying, though? Well, I felt like if I failed, I'd just make something up. You know what I mean? I would yeah. just try and <laughs> just get yeah. through it into the next bit of the stuff. Yeah. And actually, somebody who was in that night did spot that they were like, "Were you just rambling <laughs> <laughs> around the stage?" And I was. But um, but I I, just, I sort of allowed myself to say, "Well, you know, it is a preview, and we are still trying to." figure this out and you know um so uh so it, it was fine but uh but i i'd, I'd you know i'd like to learn it as early as possible because um it, it just gives you a freedom in in the mm. rehearsals i think i was going to say was as in that fiona shore example it, it can't be about remembering it if you're a professional actor it has to just be there and then everything else is i mean then then your work starts yeah, I mean, you have to just have it there. And yeah, I mean, you it. have to hope that it's just right, mm. right there. Mm. And, uh, you know, um, I mean, there are occasionally moments where that doesn't happen, you know, and you're doing this, you know, doing things. I mean, certainly when you're earlier in the show and when we were doing previews, there were moments where, I, you know, it just wasn't at my fingertips. And so, you know, you're like, what is the next bit? You know, um, but that's engaging, I think. And it's interesting and it's alive. And, mm. you know. And Shakespeare, I mean, there are prose sections in Shakespeare, but in general, there's the, um, fairly, the insistent rhythm of the Iron I, I Pentameter, and you can decide to what extent you stress that. Um, every man is more complex because it's free verse, there are rhyming sections, there um, are various different rhythms and meters. So in, in treating it as verse, how did you, do you think of it as verse or just dialogue? I think I think of it in, as verse for certain points you know but I didn't think that there was any it, it didn't feel I, I like the rhyming <coughs> schemes especially the sly rhymes because you don't have to you can if you choose to play them but you can also not and they still communicate and uh, and I think that that's I think that's really I think that's part of why what makes the show exciting is that the um that if you want to listen to it in terms of a very skilled poetic exercise as well as anything else you know then you then you can um, but you can also push that aside and just mm. and listen to what it's sort of saying. Um. And we, we've mentioned already, we talk about finding and creating character, which is um, a large part of what you have to do. I think every man's a really interesting example because the character is supposed to represent everyone, mankind, but you can't play, and, uh, sorry, per humankind, you can't play that as an actor. You have to make Ev, you have to make him very specific. Yeah, uh, yeah. The uh, so in a sense, the title is a little misleading. Yeah, but the um, uh, yeah. I mean, the challenge of it is to is to is to create a character that obviously not everybody is going to relate to on any level, maybe. But that, but still has you still have elements that you completely understand and understand about humanity. 
you know, and, uh, and about the nature of relationships and the nature of relationships we have to each other, to our family, to the world, um, and, and be able to place oneself within that within some context. Uh, you know, there are people who talk to me about the show afterwards who deeply relate to the character, very specifically to the character, you know, and, uh, and other people who relate to the, to the world of this character and to the specifics of the issues that he's facing. Um, and obviously, the relationship to mortality is something that, you know, uh, that we're, you know, we all deal with. So there are various ways that he is any man, you know, mm. and, uh, and, and, and every man at the same time. But that's why I think it's so successful as a version and a production that um, when it was originally done as a medieval mystery, uh, a medieval morality play, we can probably assume all or certainly uh, almost all of the audience, they believed in heaven and hell, they were going to one or the other. Now you will have a range in any audience from people who are completely secular to people who still are deeply believing but the way it works as you say is that the one thing that nobody can get away with whatever their religious beliefs are on is that they are going to die and that's what the play is about yeah i mean that it's sort of you know f i suppose in the original context of the play it's written as a as kind of uh, as christian kind of catholic propaganda in a sense you know and um uh respectfully but the but i suppose in this version it's there's something more to do with somebody who is uh, sort of d deeply atheistic, but not just in the kind of religious context, but also in in, the, uh, in a sort of in a, in a complete sort of disregard of any sort of spiritual understanding of planet of God of self, uh, and thereby lacking any respect for those things. To somebody who becomes sort of I suppose more deeply agnostic, who uh, who just doesn't know anymore, and and starts to question what the responsibility is to spiritual self, to self anyway, um, to God if there is, and um, you know, to the various elements of one's, of one's life in the world. But it's also saying, um, <coughs> seize the day, I and mean, it makes you think that very strongly. What if it did all end tonight or tomorrow? And he, he faces that. He has a chance to go back and try to sort out various relationships, but we won't. So it also, I think it must make an audience think about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, seize the moment while it lasts. Yeah, I, I mean, th th that's, I think that's part of it, you know, um, and I think that's a strong part of it. And I think by the end that that, that realization and that kind of sense of, uh, of community that happens, not just with uh, every man in his senses, but with every man in his senses and the audience, you know, uh, becomes quite, uh, becomes part of that, that message, I think. And that's what's, um, I think, very beautifully done by Carol Ann, that it actually becomes a, 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 a a play about community. And we're going to open up to the audience uh, shortly, but as I say, we've, got, we, we've gone from being um, offered part of the script by Rufus Norris to now being here, going on this stage tonight. So on, I'm very interested in rituals with performers or preparation, um, because it's the same thing in sport as well. Is So when you wake up on a performance day, it's presumably significantly different from waking up on a filming day or a day off. Uh, yeah, yeah. You think I've got to tonight I've got to go and do this. Yeah, you pretend that you're having a normal day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you pretend you're just having breakfast in your yeah. local coffee shop, you're reading the paper, everything's normal. But yes, in the back of your mind you're you are always aware that uh, you're kind of counting down, you know, when you're going to get to the theatre, when you're going to start getting ready, you know, when you're going to, you know, just what kind of show you are looking to have, you know, in the evening. It is completely all-consuming, um, which, is, which is kind of great, you know. Um, uh, I, I mean, it's sort of as it should be, you know. It's, um, it's interesting to tell a story like this with 1,200 people every night, and, and then, uh, and yeah, I think that would preoccupy you. you know. And do you... Um Opera singers, obviously, their voice is everything, really. I mean, some of them could act a bit, but uh, do, do, you, um, do, you, do you test out, try a few lines in the shower in the morning or anything? See if the voice is there? I'm constantly doing the lines from, you know, right. you know I mean, you know, I walk back home, uh, you know, after the show, you know, uh, just across Blackfriars, doing the lines from the show, you know. It's like it's always in my mind and trying to figure out... Um, just different inflections, different ways of doing things, what, you know, just carrying different things through. Um, uh, uh, yeah, just trying to, 
just trying to navigate it so that there's nothing by the end of this process, which now I think, you know, with the two-week break that we have, we, we have sort of about four weeks left of doing the show. And, uh, and the most, like I was sort of mentioned this a little bit before, but the most frustrating thing is to come away from a show and think, well, you know, these are the things that I didn't explore and maybe this would have opened up this section in a different way, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I'm constantly trying to f figure it out. And sports um, performers, and there, I think there is an obvious overlap between the two, they talk about getting in the zone, that there are certain times in a game or in a race when suddenly it's as if they've gone to a special level of concentration and all their skills are at their best. I mean, do you, does that happen as an actor? Are there like some performances, some moments in performances where you seem to go into a different area? There's the kind of, um, you know, it's hard to describe, but the, the, the uh, occasionally you can be doing the show and be, the, I can be completely lost in the show. Um, so really not aware that much of anything else, you know, uh, of just the circumstances of the, of the show and the circumstances of the character and, and feeling completely within it to the point where it suddenly is finishing and you sort of come out of a kind of slight haze. Mm. Um, and there are other times you're completely aware of every element of it, the, you know, the person texting in the front row. Yeah. The, you know, you're completely aware of all of the rest of it and all of, you know, and of your day and what you read in the paper this morning and whatever. And um, it's hard to know which show is better, you know, for, uh, from an audience perspective. Mm. It's, uh, it's fascinating as an actor to be kind of lost within it, you know, uh, and just what that means psychologically is really interesting. But, um, but I don't know what, how that represents itself on the outside. No, that's what I, one of the most extraordinary things I've seen was on this stage when Paul Schofield was in Don Quixote and um, Tony Haygarth was Sanjay Panza, and they were on bicycles, um, kind of high penny farthings. And the wheel came off the back of um, Tony Haygarth's bike and the audience were laughing and and he tapped Schofield on the shoulder but it was quite it was quite apparent to me Schofield hadn't noticed that anything had, had happened gone, yeah and it was like he was coming out of hypnosis when they were trying to explain to him <laughs> and but I mean he you know he obviously about as great as actors as possible to be yeah but but watching that I I was astonished by how deep he must have gone. I suppose that's a great way of, of describing it, like a, a sort of a hypnosis, yes. yeah, uh, into a kind of trance-like state, mm. um, where exactly that, one would have to explain and repeat, like, the wheels come off the penny farthing, Paul. No, that's literally <laughs> what they were doing. They were saying, we've got to stop, because, and he, it yeah. was as if he, d he wasn't there. I mean, he was, um, but that's, I mean, in acting terms, that's a good state to get to. It's an interesting state, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's rare, you mm. know, um, but it happens. Yeah. But then the other side, you mentioned you don't know which is the best performance. So the, the, the other occasion on which you've got a bit of a cold, um, you're worrying about the gas bill, you've got someone supposed Always. to, yeah, deliver. <laughs> you've got um, British Telecom is supposed to be coming to the house and they haven't and all that. Um, in those circumstances, because as I say, I talk to actors, they differ on this. Sometimes they've gone on thinking, I don't, really don't want to do this. I'm worrying about my children's exam results or something. And yet it can still happen. And that's a mysterious thing. And that's, I suppose, just about what's, what's already been built into mm. you know, the production and the amount of times you maybe have done the show, uh, the nature of the investment in the rehearsal period, the... That, that something still happens regardless of where your mind is as soon as the play goes up it's still you're still engaged in to some degree with you know and and the play sort of rolls out you know it's not i wonder i mean to me that's probably not the most satisfying method of uh, of working you know but uh but i'm glad to know that it is that it is there yeah. that the that the muscle memory is still uh, still kicks in and just before I open it up, I mean, a thing that I always hate to raise with actors, but I've seen it happen is, particularly on a first night, I mean, you do sometimes see people looking terrified. I mean, it's an awful thing to, uh, because it is frightening acting. I mean, it can be um, stage fright. I mean, is that something you just, do you have to be nervous to a certain degree or? Well, it doesn't, it just doesn't help that much. You know, it's like, um, you know, I mean, I don't suppose anybody really comes to the theater desperately trying to see somebody quaking in their boots, mm. you know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, you, people want to see good 
productions. They want to mm. see, you know, everybody's on your side, essentially, mm. except for a couple of people who aren't. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, uh, you know that everybody wants the same thing out of it. And, uh, and although, uh, you know, I suppose any kind of nerves can easily be anticipated, uh, it should be reinterpreted rather as excitement or, you know, just you can sort of generate it in a slightly different way. It's not to be, I, I don't suppose it's to be feared exactly. It's like, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really and deeply exciting. And I, and I feel like, and even if you have that kind of trepidation beforehand, um, the moment it arrives and the moment you start telling a story and the moment you feel an audience kind of lean in and, and, and want to hear and just um, part of that, the sort of culture and tradition of that, um, you know, that kind of kicks in. And, uh, and I think you can, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's sad if you, if you carry that energy, the sort of nervous energy, through into the production and, you know, I'm not saying, I mean, the half hour call, yeah, yeah, fine, but you know. <laughs> but, you know and you can you s can you sleep easily afterwards? I mean, particularly the start of a production, because the adrenaline rush must be so great. I mean, do you have that thing of not being able to get to sleep till three, four in the morning after a stage performance? Uh, it varies sometimes, you know, and um, uh, and with this, you know, because the energy level is quite high. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, but you know that the show because it's 90 minutes straight through which you know mm. I, i've decided is exactly the right amount yeah. of time <laughs> production um <laughs> you know because of that and we come down at kind of like you know 9 30 mm. 9 20 or whatever um it just means there's a lot of evening left you know mm. and uh, so it doesn't it doesn't affect you quite as much as you know coming down at 10 to 11 and mm. having done you know othello or something yeah. it's uh, which is a completely you know i mean yes do it at the Dhamma. Uh, you know, sleep was not possible mm. for a while. Yeah. <laughs> if we could bring the lights up on the audience, we've got um, microphones. Just while we do that, a question about audiences, because occasionally because of transfers or taking um, friends to see a production I particularly liked, I see a production twice, and I'm astonished by how different the audience sometimes can be, and many actors talk about this, that you can have an incredibly responsive audience at the matinee and a dead, apparently dead one in the evening, or vice versa. I yeah. mean, how aware are you of that? as a performer i suppose you're always aware of it and uh and um you're kind of i mean in a way you can't you just can't worry about it too much but it's um because you can't hear smiles <laughs> yeah um but you know so you kind of you don't know what people are experiencing really and you mm. don't know how they're viewing the production um, but actors in a comedy i mean it's quite besides talking to some people yeah. here i mean it can be quite awful because they get huge laughs one night and then next night there's nothing. I mean, that must be really weird. Yeah, that's why I avoid that. Kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, could, we'll take as many questions as we can. Um, I'm not very, I can just about see the back row, so you might have to wave a lot. Oh, actually, actually, I can see a hand at the very back. So can we get, um, where are the microphones? Oh, uh, maybe. Oh, no microphones, sorry, that's my mistake. Okay, now I'm gonna repeat the questions. Yes, sir, you say. I'll repeat that question. Um, it's about concentration. We're talking about whether um, it's, uh, more, it's more enjoyable or easier to be on stage because you remain in the same character for two hours or 90 minutes in this case, um, rather than a very short in and out concentration on film set. Yeah, I mean, I love being on stage for that reason. I like, you know, just sort of getting on the train, getting on the journey with everybody else all at the same time and telling a story in that way, you know. Uh, and I feel very, very at home doing that. And that's really how I started as an actor and, <clears throat> and was the work that I thought I would actually just do for <laughs> all my career, you know. Um, uh, film is exactly like that. It's very, it, it breaks up so much. But, um, but at the same time, something else happens with that. And uh, it, after a while of making a film, you know, just the word action or the word turnover, and you can very easily slip in from whatever you were doing, slip into into the character, and that's uh, that's also an, an interesting process. It's not to me as ultimately fulfilling as uh, as as this process, but you know. That's but the, for example, I think in twelve. Um 
Twelve Years a Slave, the whipping sequence, the scourging sequence. I mean, that went on for days, didn't it, in filming? Yeah, it did, it did. It was interesting, a little revival of that in this production. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did say to um, Rufus, I feel like I've been doing this movie for a long time. <laughs> but, the, uh, but yeah, the, um, yeah that was, we shot that for a few days, for like mm. uh, uh, three days. But then again, the, 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 the sort of total immersion of everybody <clears throat> in, in that film was uh was so complete in terms of louisiana in terms of the, the locations we were shooting on in terms of the characters and that uh that it was sort of almost impossible in a in the course of a shooting day to in any way break out of the kind of reality the psychological reality of what was what had happened okay any, anyone on this yes i can see um lady there with her hand raised yeah Um, that question is about the, uh, for those who haven't seen it, there's um, a chorus as there is in the original of Every Man. And um, we talked about just before we came on, there's an extraordinary scene where everyone is on stage and then gradually, in a way I won't reveal, they're all removed and Chiritel is left alone on stage. But so acting with the, the, acting with the chorus. Um, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually. The, the, uh, you know, one of the crucial parts of this production and, uh, and one of the most exhilarating parts of it, I think, for an audience and for me, is the, uh, like working with an extraordinary ensemble, you know, uh, an extraordinary group of actors uh, and performers that are, <coughs> um, you know, uh, have entirely in their own way unique skill sets and, um, uh, and methods, uh, but, uh, but are able to combine in this production in this really vibrant way and uh and i think sort of lift and support the show support me certainly in in a you know in a way that i that i found i don't think i've ever kind of met or worked with a company as uh, as sort of levels deep and skilled as uh, as the as the company uh i'm working with here uh, and it's been uh, an extraordinary privilege for me to 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 work with uh, to work with the guys yeah um Anyone over in that block? Yes, um, lady in the lady in red. Who's dancing? Yeah. <laughs> right. Very interesting question because we talked about. Um, moving between theater and stage, as you know, and as the lady says, there's now this. Um, middle way, as Tony Blair would have said, uh, <laughs> which um, is uh, in which the actors are on stage, but lots of people are watching in a cinema through NT Live. So the question is, so on that, on that night, do you, you and the actors know it's going around, the, not just Britain, around the world? There are people sitting in the other yeah. side of the world watching it. Um, does that change your performance or affect it? It does. I mean, you know, <coughs> it was something that I... <coughs> was thinking about a lot before we, we, we did the NT Live was like, how much do I, you know, because obviously there's an audience still in the room um, and how much, and then it's being broadcast to a couple of thousand screens live across the world, you know, which is pretty intense as a thing to be doing. But then, and so I was thinking like, how much do I play it essentially to the cameras and, you know, and, and change the performance and vary it in that way. Um, and, uh, and in the end, I felt like that it's actually a really complicated process, you know. Um, uh, and it was the first time that I've ever done it. Um, and I'd be excited to do it again and really for me to just really sort of prepare it in a slightly different way because, um, because you can essentially keep the theatrical performance more or less the same with some variance in... in size maybe and make things a tiny bit more subtle but what you can also do is then add in all of these kind of tiny nuances of character that an audience uh, in the theater wouldn't necessarily be able to to see or to appreciate from any distance but you can slightly play another layer of of performance that is purely for the cameras that are coming in slightly closer you know and um and that 
you know, whilst you're trying to balance everything about the show, adding that element to it is quite exciting. I felt like there were a couple of moments where I managed to try and thread that through, knowing that it was being broadcast. But um, I think it would have been great to, if I had um, just thought about that <laughs> a little more, you know, beforehand, because uh, it was, uh, it kind of caught up with me suddenly that I could do that, that I could add in these things. Um, um, but I think next time I'll try and do that, do, you know, the third way. But also, actors have told me, which I never thought about, but it's an extraordinary thing to me. They'd come off stage and they're getting texts from, like, aunts in Australia they, who've never seen them on stage before, who've been watching it in some cinema in Sydney. It's an astonishing thing. Anthony Sher has said, I mean, his family in South Africa, who some of them never seen him on stage and they just watch it at a cinema. It's amazing, yeah. It is astonishing, that, isn't it? It's a great yeah. idea. I mean, it's, you know, I just wonder whether it's all going to, whether there'll, there'll be a kind of combination of all the elements, you know, whether, you know, you know, like they're doing with movies now, whether like a press night will be also the live version. So you can have the you know, theatrical experience, but you can also see it on your computer at home, you know. Um, this group, yes, I can see, I think pink, I think orangey, yes, lady there. Uh, again, a slight um, plot spoiler for those who haven't seen it. Um, it starts with um, a very um, uh, hedonistic uh, party involving cocaine and music. And the question is about the music rather than the cocaine. Um, <laughs> did, did, you have any input, did you have any input into the choice of the music? No. I was actually, uh, I came in a, a little late to the rehearsal period, actually. Uh, I was working in Los Angeles and I was only able to come in after the company, the ensemble had already started creating the prologue uh, uh, with uh, Javier de Frutas, a uh, brilliant choreographer that we have. And uh, uh, so I came in and was sort of playing catch up to that, to that stuff a little bit, but, you know, was thrilled by it. I mean, so excited by it and the, and the, and the choices of music and the sounds and, you know. Um, yes, a uh, lady there in the white top. Okay, the lady says, um, quite rightly, three um, elements uh, essentially in this production. The poetry of the text by Karen Ann Duffy, the choreography, Javier de Frutos, the acting um, by Chutal and the other actors. So, but also mentioning that the script was not um, in a finished state at the beginning. So how much input did you have as an actor into? Well, I think we all had a lot of uh, input into it. And, uh, uh, and Carol Ann, who was with us in, throughout the rehearsal period, was... Uh, was very open to to changing bits and to taking on ideas and um and obviously with rufus and you know rufus and myself working on different things and you know i mean to the point that i i said to carol ann at a certain point that i felt that there was just a bit where i was kind of moving across stage and i needed a little more dialogue just to kind of get myself from one end of the stage to another and she said well how much two inches you know? <laughs> <laughs> So, um, you know, she was incredibly open to this, uh, the, the sort of spirit of that and, uh, and to me sort of, you know, just clarifying this character for myself and, uh, you know, um, uh, and so therefore kind of attempting to be kind of true to, to it and to, um, to sort of understand it as well as I could. And she, um, I thought, was amazing at, uh, at just accommodating that. Uh, uh. Also, that's quite, as you know, uh, uh, some poets can only write in a cork-lined room um, overlooking a particular sea, but sure. she's one of those, like Tony um, Harrison, who's worked a lot in the theatre, who, who can write on her knee in rehearsal. Yeah, I mean, and beautiful stuff, oh. you know, and, uh, and she was sort of saying that just at this point in her life, it sort of is, it, it is flowing out of her, you know, mm. so she can do that, and, uh, and, um, and that is you know, remarkable. I do recommend for people who haven't, it, it really does um, repay reading the text as well as um, having seen the production. It's an extraordinary thing, I think. Um, yes, Lady there in orange, I'm pretty certain.
Yeah. Mm. Um, so, uh, what, one of earlier performances, Noel Coward's The Vortex, uh, Donmar, was it? Donmar? It was yeah. the Donmar, yeah. Donmar, was, uh, uh, with Francesca Annis. And um, so the question is, uh, what was that? It was gr great experience. You know, Francesca was uh, lovely, and I uh, was able just to learn a lot. You know, she's um, incredibly well prepared, Francesca. You know, like at the, uh, it was actually relating to a conversation that we were, the part, something we were saying earlier is that, um, you know, from the first day of rehearsals, she's got such a clear idea of what she wants to do, how she wants to do it, how she wants to achieve certain things within the context of the play. And, uh, and I think at that point, I was still a little bit more like, well, you turn up on the first day and then, you know, it all happens. Um, and uh, the director sort of figures it out and then you do it, you know. Um, and you know, you realize over time that that doesn't get you very far. You sort of have to have come in with really strong ideas about what you want to achieve or what you feel that the piece is. And, um, and so she was somebody who does that. And she's somebody who is incredibly skilled and really, uh, and so for me at that exact point, uh, and I think for Michael as well, I think it was his first production as artistic director of the Dharma. Michael Grange, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think it was a really valuable person for, she was, uh, Francesca's an absolutely, you know, delightful person to work with and a really valuable person to, 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 to collaborate with. You know, but also, as we talked about why you end up doing what you do as an actor and people having ideas, I mean, Noel Coward wasn't necessarily an obvious part of the repertoire. I mean, was it something you'd thought about? Playing Noel uh, Coward? Again, never, no, no. I never thought about yeah. that. But, uh, uh, it was uh, so it was interesting when Michael asked me about it and and um, yeah I didn't really I didn't really hesitate I was kind of I was up for you know uh, you know that it was I thought it was pretty interesting and a, and a kind of uh, and a sort of bold way of looking at a play like that uh, uh, you know the, the vortex and and seeing whether uh, any of those kind of nuances of character and of of, uh, of relationship can be drawn out in slightly different ways, you know, and I think that that's what we were attempting to sort of play with in that yeah. piece. Um, we'll do as many as we can. Anyone in the middle section, because we've been at the edges. Sorry, fr uh, front row there, yeah. Yeah, I was very interested when you were talking about the, how you're not certain when you're in, the, in that kind of haze of, of being in, in character, not certain whether that's any better than when you've got more sort of distracted thoughts going on in your performance. And I'm wondering, do you assess a performance after you've done it? And, and if so, what kind of feedback do you use in order to make that, so that, you know, in order to progress, basically? That question, but I think it picked up on our mics, but um, is about, uh, we talked about why performance A is better or different from performance B. Um, how do you assess those afterwards? I mean, do, do you each time afterwards think, how was it for me? <laughs> <laughs> I do, um, <laughs> I admit. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's a great question. I don't, it, it <clears throat> I suppose I feel like in, in, the, in a moment of doing the show, um, whether, the, whether this is the best way of, the trouble is as soon as I start to assess it in the show, then I lose track of what I'm doing in a way. So it's never that helpful, but occasionally, you find yourself thinking, is this the best way of communicating this specific part of this thing for me uh, to, with the audience, you know? Um, and, and then I suppose you immediately dismiss that because you've got to, you're in the midst of the show. Uh, but when the show ends, I mean, this is why I'm wandering across Blackfriars Bridge doing the lines from the show, you know, because, uh, because I go back to the question, why did I feel like I'd hit a tiny bump or something while I was doing the show in that bit, uh, is it because there is another way of doing it that might communicate that part of the show a tiny bit better? And if so, what is that? Um, and, and that's the sort of process of analysis. Uh, I think if you do a show that you are in the kind of haze that we were talking about from beginning to end, and there's no point that you've jumped out of it to assess what it is, then you can't really critique it. You know, then you are like, well, I was completely involved in that. It all seemed to make sense to me. You know? um, it's not as active a form of critiquing it, but, uh, but you can sort of take away an overview. You can go back to the text, you know, 
uh, I do that and, and see if there are more, you know, if there's other things to, 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 to mine, you know. I think it's constantly, gonna, it, it is always a process of, you know, of correcting. Um, and uh, and it will never, obviously, it will never be perfect, but it's, uh, it's whether everything can be impactful, interesting, dynamic, as it can be, you know, for, um, for an audience on any, on any given night. Mm. But the thing you said earlier, that you can't exactly repeat a performance, I mean, this is one of the, I think, young actors have talked about falling into this trap. You think, amazing laugh tonight, if I count to four tomorrow and said exactly the same way, and then nothing happens. I mean, yeah. that's why it's odd. Yeah, and that's the thing you've sort of, I, I think that's, you know, I mean, I don't know, because I don't, you know, I've never really tried to actively play comedy, you know. Uh, I think if things are funny, they come out of the situation. And so uh, it doesn't, it, in a sense, I, I'd never assess a performance by how many laughs I got, you know. Uh, but it's in a fellow, that would be quite worrying, wouldn't it? It would be, <laughs> yeah. The... Uh, yeah. Um, not any laughs, no laughs. Yeah. Really. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, so it's kind of, so, you, you know, you, so you're using a different, mm. a cri you're just using a slightly different criteria, you know, um, and, uh, and part of that is just the sort of truth telling of it, you know, and whether that is being communicated as well as you feel it could be. Uh, yes, well, whiz round. Um, is there somebody, I'm just worried about the back because I can't see. Is there anyone wave strongly from the back? Yes, someone in the very back row there. Okay, the, the question there is about, as it's a medieval morality play, um, quite rightly, as the lady says, the characters often represent archetypes or virtues. And would you say that um, Carol Ann Duffy has done more to uh, humanize it, to characterize them? Yeah, I think it's a balance, you know, and I think that's the balance that she struck, that she kept the structure very much of the original, um, but kind of just brought it into the, into the modern world and into kind of slightly more into, into modern thinking. But I, I still think that the anonymous 15th century reality play is an extraordinary piece of, of work. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's quite narrow in its own way, but it's still an extraordinary uh, way of, of, of looking at um, responsibility, you know. Um, and, um, uh, but I feel that, yeah, absolutely, that Carol Ann has fleshed it out, has given it a bit more breadth and, uh, and made it very relatable to, I think, to anybody. You know. We've probably just got time for a couple more. Is there, um, is, yes. Here, sorry, yes, there, yes, yes. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> This question is about some of the early roles, Flicky, Blue Orange, Vortex, um, being big roles. Um, what do you do in rehearsal to get yourself up to that level, to take on that kind of role? Well, it's interesting, that the rehearsal process, because I feel like it's always different, you know, and, uh, and in the way that every character is different, the way into, you know, the, in, the way into the character always changes for me, you know. So I don't have uh, really a, a set, method of of getting into a character or understanding a character you know uh i i just sort of i feel like it's it all starts from the personal it starts from what you can actually relate to you know uh in some ways i think that that's becomes what all of acting is you know is trying to just uh to make it as specific to your own thoughts your own sort of set of ideas as possible uh, and then combine that with your opinion, in a way, of 
this character and see if you can kind of marry the two things, you know. So, uh, and sometimes that's based a lot on researching something. Sometimes that's just based on playing it out on the floor, you know, and, uh, uh, and seeing if it, seeing if it works, you know, but I, that's, I just, I'm an advocate in, in, in the end of just whatever works, whatever communicates is, is correct. Um, yeah, well, t I'll take that one. It's, a, it's just, I've got a light in my eyes. Is there anyone who's been um, trying for a long time who I've, be honest. <laughs> okay, well, t I know, no, I'm taking that one. I'm just checking some over. <laughs> All right, here's a uh, yes, okay, we'll take those. Yes. Okay, that question is um, broadly along, uh, as Sir Lenny Henry has been campaigning um, vigorously in various parts of the industry over this, which is opportunities for uh, non-white performers and uh, personnel. And in this particular question from uh, the questioner about um, young black women and the chances, opportunities in theatre. She's writing an article, hopefully for The Guardian. For the Guardian. I have no power there, I'm afraid. But, um, <laughs> Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously, the uh, the you know the sort of wider issue of diversity is um, massively important, and and in and in order to sustain any kind of real cultural relevance for theatre, you know, there has to be diversity in it, you know, and uh, and that is the thing that is the kind of lifeblood of theatre, and it's what's going to bring in new generations of people, new playwrights, new actors, new performers, you know, and, uh, is, and I think there's enough room in theatre for it to have uh, a, a, a wide base of diversity. I think there is so much still to do, you know, and I feel like there are, you know, strides that have been made, and, uh, um, and I, I think, I wonder if the idea of it in the end is kind of psychological, because um, the belief structure somehow being that uh, diversity is something that you are giving to another group of people or something, you know, not something that you are benefiting from as a theatrical community, as a wider theatrical cultural community. Uh, and I think that some of the psychology of that needs to, needs to sort of dramatically shift to the point that it's no longer a question, that everybody, every theatre company in the country, every person who is a theatre-goer, every is demanding and wanting diversity and to have different experiences and different voices. I think it's... I think it's sort of well past the time that that is part of all of the conversation of theatre, you know, uh, and, um, uh, uh, and, and I think that that leads to a vibrant and exciting and relevant theatrical community, you know, I think it's, um, it's, sort, of, it's sort of obvious, so I feel like there's, there's a plenty of stuff to do. I love the idea of you writing this article, I love the idea of people and performers from diverse backgrounds who are constantly uh, pushing in, in, in writing and performance to, uh, to access all of the, of the materials and opportunities that are out there. I feel like <coughs> the wider theatrical community could, uh, I mean, some people do, and I, I have certainly been very much helped in my working life by this, but I feel like they, there is always more that can be done to, uh, to support that. Um, and, uh, and one is constantly frustrated by the slightly cynical conversation that can happen from the right about all of that, you know, which is totally unhelpful and actually nothing to do with theatre at all.
You've been appointed. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, You've been end, appointed culture secretary for the um, <laughs> the afternoon. What would you do to create more opportunities? Well, in the end, that's the sad thing that in the, as an actor, you know, your 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 hands are tied a little bit. You know, there's what you know. Uh, you don't. <clears throat> I mean, I can do what I can do within the power that I have to uh, create work that I want to do, and uh, and. And maybe if I wasn't here in the Olivia, I would be somewhere else doing this work because, um, because it's the work that I was born to do. And luckily, it's in combination now with somebody like Rufus, who is prepared to, to take steps like that. And in the end, it is, of course, going to be down to the artistic directors of the theatres and, uh, and them taking on that responsibility, taking on the mantle of having to achieve diversity in theatre and knowing how significant that is. Okay, I, I've run it slightly over, but it, the National Theatre may close down. But I, I, there's a gentleman over there who's been waiting a long time. Um, what kind of process do you go through in the case of creating the physicality of a character? And then once you've done that, how do you make sure that you don't bring your habitual tendencies to the performance when you're in such a high-octane situation? That question is about um, the physicality of a performance and avoiding bringing... I think the gentleman means there are certain actors we won't name who have regular mannerisms that appear in all their roles and how you avoid falling back on them. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't quite know. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, there are some. We'll talk about them afterwards, okay. you know. <laughs> there's, there's one well-known actor where critics always say he's doing all his he's, twitches he's and doing stuff. He's yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know. I, uh, I think that that's always the struggle. And, you know, in the end, one is always trying to be a better actor, you know. Um, and I, I can't say that I've overcome that particularly, you know, that there's always a point where you are ending up relying on certain things that you may have done before and certain patterns that you feel work, um, you know, uh, and so you find a place of comfort in that, you know. And the, the fight against that is always going to be part of what is going to progress you as a, as a performer. So, um, uh, so that's actually something that I'm constantly trying to sort of figure out and, uh, and to isolate the parts of things that are just, you know, the way my face be, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And the parts that are, uh, that are things that I'm doing because I feel that theatrically they kind of work even though they're not necessarily honest or... Um, original or innovative from me, you know. Um, so that's always going to be the kind of struggle of trying to find the better performer, the best version of, of my performing self. Roger Moore famously said that he always offered the director two choices, eyebrow raised or eyebrow, eyebrow down. down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, one final question before we go. At this stage, do you have any sort of um, three Weetabix with blueberries rituals before performance at about this time of day? Uh, no. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, it, just, it just varies, you know, it varies day to day, you know, especially actually now because, you know, I, I haven't for a long time, because I haven't been here for a long time, done a show in, in rep, you know, so the Bo Stratagem is here, obviously, and, uh, mm. and so we're in rep with them at the moment. And that brings in a whole other sequence of, um, of, of challenges, of going away for a few days and sometimes going away for a couple of weeks, you know, and totally almost forgetting about the play, you know. Um, traveling to other countries and so on, and then coming back and having to reintroduce yourself to the world of this. So it kind of, because it's not sort of clockwork regular, it, it by definition ends up breaking up all of the kind of rituals that you can get into, or some of the rituals that you can get into. And when you've been away, you, you do a line rehearsal, don't you? Yeah, you we do around, what's yeah. called the bring back hall, yeah. which is uh, just uh, up in rehearsal room four. To, uh, to do a quick line run of the thing, and we go through the prologue sequence, you know, uh, because there are just so many moving elements in all of that in the beginning that, uh, uh, that you just want to be completely dialed in, you know, so you don't go flying over a glass table and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> down that hole. <laughs> uh, well, I did let that run over, so if um, the National Theatre complain, I'll blame all of you um, for that. But anyway, thank you very much to all of you for your questions, and particularly to our actors. Thank you. Thank you.